the biggest power that the government, the regime has, uh, has against us is fear. United Nations! You know, they can't hold the people down forever. To be on the streets and to express is now or never. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Rodriguez, and for David Ushery. Well, they are demonstrations not seen in decades. Thousands of Cubans taking to the streets day after day, pleading with their communist government to save their lives. The island is in a deep economic crisis that has caused critical food shortages with hours-long lines for what little is left. They say there's no medicine, no COVID vaccine distribution, and little power thanks to rolling blackouts in triple-digit heat. Protests, especially ones this big, are rare in Cuba. The government keeps tight control over all aspects of life. Defiance and dissent not tolerated. Historically, Internet access is only for the chosen few. It was becoming more widespread, but now it's hard to come by. Authorities are blocking social media sites and restricting access in an apparent effort to stop the flow of information into and out of the country. I was able to talk to Daniel Triana Rubio, an activist who is in Havana under house arrest. Right now, he's working around the internet stoppage, trying to get the word out about what's really happening in Cuba. Obviously, the whole world is watching what's going on in Cuba right now. So tell me how this started and why this is so different this time after all the other years that we've seen some protests start to try to crop up. The protest started uh, on Sunday. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a town near to Havana called San Antonio de los Baños. And they say that they, the protest started because of a, a light cut out, you know, a blackout. It started like that, but very quickly people started to, to scream, to shout, and to express it, it, the, the unhappiness, the, you know, the disagreement against the, the government, against the regime. Then in Santiago de Cuba, a massive protest and, and in, in a few towns across the island and in Havana, I, I talked to some friends and I'd say, look, we have to, this is the capital of, of the country. We have to be on the streets and to express it's now or never. Uh, I had been arrested a few times, like three or four or four times because of my activism. And I, 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 I have uh, participated in, in a few protests in, in Havana and I have been arrested uh, because of, you know, always asking uh, freedom of speech as an artist, freedom of association and asking for the freedom of uh, political prisoners in Cuba. You felt like this was something that, this was the time. See now, I've so I've been to Cuba, right? I was there in 1998 okay. after the Pope had visited and now they were allowing direct flights from JFK to Havana. So that was a really big deal. And I remember being very um, taken aback by 
the lack of freedoms that the Cubans had. Of course, this is something that you hear about and you know, but when you walk the streets and you, and you see people afraid to talk to you because you're media, or you see people afraid to engage with other people or engage with each other, um, you can feel that as somebody visiting, right? And then when I went in 2015, now uh, when Pope Francis was there, um, that was 2015, right? Do I have that correct? 2015, the Pope visited again, I believe. Yes. All right. So, so when I went in 2015, uh, what we noticed is yeah. there was more communication. So some people had internet access and most people didn't, but it seemed like certain professionals or there were certain allowances that were made for internet access. Um, and I noticed that people felt a little more free just in general, maybe because they were able to get information. And I, I remember there was a time where people were using thumb drives, right? To pass information along to those who didn't have internet. Now, when I went in 2018, what I, what I noticed was these Wi-Fi parks, right? We were talking about that earlier, where people gather around a particular booth or store or pole or something, and they buy their Wi-Fi and they can sit there and, and be on their phones. People didn't really have smartphones as a lot in 2018, but they were all able to, to be on their phones. Now, you said to me earlier, it was internet access that really took this situation and blew it up. So tell me about that. I, I like to say it always that the internet, the world of the internet, is the only uh, the only area that the government can't fully control in Cuba. So Cuba is a totalitarian regime. They control everything, all the economics, all the 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 TV, the radio, the press. Mm -hmm the associations, the parties, you know, there's only one party in Cuba. You, you know, they, they control everything. Yeah. And the internet is like our, uh, you know, our, our independent, uh, free space to express, to communicate. When I think of the internet, I think this myth, this, uh, this myth, I think is in the Bible. Sanson y Dalila, you know, the, the Sanson, the, the Samson strong and man Samson with the long and hair. Yeah, Samson and Delilah. Exactly. So the internet is our, our hair, mm -hmm. our hair. And when you cut it, Sanson uh, stays without, uh, without loose uh, his strength. So I guess the, the concern is that if they can do that, how do you, how do you continue to fight for your freedom and continue to, to get the support from people. Because what I remember most about the times that I was there is, is one of the things I remember the most is, is the fear. You know, um, people don't want to be retaliated against. They don't want their families to suffer. They, nobody wants to get arrested, obviously. Um, so how do you bring that out when you talk about cuba you have to talk about fear and it's it, you know it sounds like an abstract thing but it's so 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 real when you when you're cuban when you have cuban friends i always say that the the 
the power, the, the biggest power that the government, the regime has, mm -hmm. uh, has against us is the fear. So, you know, what I, what I noticed too is, is, is the Cuban people, you know, they, there is so much love for their country, right? So much, so much pride in their culture and love for their country. And I almost, I, well, I found that there was a sense of pride where it almost seems like some people will put on a face to tourists that everything is fine um, because I thought either is it a pride thing or is it a fear of somebody telling on you thing or is it both? I think it's both. You know, I always uh, think of Cuba when you study the Cuban culture. There is a there is a tragicomic or like a tragic and a comedy, comedy yeah. thing that you yeah. a tragic that you can you can't you can't avoid that you know it's, mm -hmm. it's funny and it's sad and it's tragical and it's pathetic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think it is in our, our our DNA is in our soul we are the kindest people but we are also the you know, we, we laugh, we, we are famous because of laughing of our disgraces, mm -hmm. of our national tragedies. We are famous because of that. You know, my, my people are from Puerto Rico, right? So when you, when we were in Cuba, people would say the phrase, que somos dos alas del mismo pájaro, if I have that correct, right? Pájaro, las dos alas. Of a bird, the, the two wings. The two wings, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I understand that Sometimes you're in a situation and, and this is what it is, right? So you can either laugh or cry, I think is what you're trying to say, you know, but it looks like people have been rising up. And I think the question is, because this is now obviously global news, right? So the question is, is this because people were hungry? Because those are what the headlines are saying, that people don't have enough food and medicine, or is it because COVID has gotten so out of control or is it because people have just gotten tired and hunger is a big motivator? So, so what do you think a lot of this was about, aside from the fact that it's internet related? I think it's related to all of that. You know, we have been accumulating things and things. You know, the Cuban government are always victimized, you know, put 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 themselves in the role of the victim. But I think I think the embargo is real. Uh, it, it affects affects uh, uh, Cuban people's lives. But you know, I I think most of all that we we have been under pressure for too many too many years, and it has exploded the. Mm -hmm. Like, like no, we we can take it no more. Yeah. Is the hungry? Is the hunger? Is the 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 light uh, blackout? Mm -hmm. Is is the is the inefficient of the Cuban government? Is the COVID uh, crisis? Mm -hmm. It's all of that. But I think most of all. Most of all, 
is the 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 need of the uh, new generation to express mm -hmm. most of all most of all you you've been arrested four times according to what you told me earlier you're 24 years old you are talking to me right now in new york right knowing that this is an interview that will be out there are you afraid i'm not afraid uh, because of many reasons one is that there there is a lot of people you know making this this denounces denouncing all, all of that and i have a privilege i have a privilege and is that i am visible you know i'm an actor you're visible I, many people exactly i'm visible I, many people know me many people support me i have been for a few months uh, an activist I have been arrested, people have claimed for my freedom. And that, that is a privilege, you know. I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the unknown protesters, the common protester of the people, young protesters. I'm afraid of them, but not, not me. Can you see a point, Daniel, where there is a free election and you are 24 years old and you have your whole life ahead of you and how long will you fight this fight? I don't know. I think we are really like orphans in this point, you know, because even if we put down this government, we are orphans. There's no political education. There's no political cons uh, conscience in people. Uh, we we have been out of the political uh, dialogue a long, 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 long time ago. So mm -hmm. people in Cuba don't know what a political party is. Mm -hmm. People in Cuba don't know what a Congress, a parliament is. Uh, people in Cuba don't know what, uh, doesn't know what uh, free elections are. You know, I think that most of the work we have to do is to to educate, to instruct, to bring out uh, and socialize this political and civic conscience. So you said earlier you're, you, you consider yourself to the left. So you don't believe in foreign intervention. I would, I would assume that that means that you don't want the United States in any way involved in, in any changes. Is that fair to say? You know, there, uh, we have to know our national history. And in, in Cuba, we, we were intervened by the USA government in uh, the last years of uh, 19th century. And it that didn't work well. And I believe in national independence. I believe also that all of the uh, uh, world uh, government uh, can help somehow the Cuban people. but. I think this battle, we have to win it on our own. Let us win this fight. Would you say that the government is now blocking all of the humanitarian assistance? Because they say that they're not. They are, as usual, responding very slowly and with all the bureaucracy <laughs> they are used to, you know? 
they don't want to accept there is a crisis. People are dying. And not only because of COVID, but also because of lack of medicines, because right. of lack of ambulances. The, the, sister, the sister of my uh, grandmother died like two days ago and she was in home uh, 24 hours uh, waiting for an ambulance. You know, but if my if my if my family my in my father uh, that that was who was taking care of her, he, if he would go to the street and and scream freedom, he in three minutes would be there, at a police car. So is that the word? If you go out to the street and you shout libertad, the police are on you in a minute. In a minute. Really? In a minute. I, I, yes, I experienced that. Yeah. I experienced that. In five minutes, you, you can, I, I, I invite all the, all the people that, that, that want you to, to, to check that to do it. In yeah. five minutes, in less than five minutes, you have a police car, a police patrol, a, a police truck. And uh, I mean, only for seven people, mm -hmm. we had a, a whole, truck to arrest us right and at the same times in other provinces where people dying without an ambulance right so, so there is money there hours. is money for repression there's money for repression but not for 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 medical care you know interesting yeah 24 hours for an ambulance you're saying but five minutes for police to respond if you're shouting libertad freedom in the street so you know before we go i, I just want to know Daniel, what, what do you want the people of the United States, the people of New York to know um, how to help the people of Cuba? What do you want them to know that you think they're not getting enough knowledge about? I would say everybody can help they, they way, the way they, they find to and the way they, they feel to. And I think now we have to to hear to the cuban people listen you know, to the people listen to what they have listen, to say listen listen you know if you want if you want to know what what we need listen to us ask ask it for example i think i it's a very uh, personal opinion that would be very very good to to share in social media the pictures the videos mm -hmm. the, what what's what is happening well i will tell you this you have a a beautiful culture um a beautiful country and a very very strong spirit you personally and it really been my pleasure to talk to you thank you so much thank you, thank you for giving me your time thank you for giving me your thoughts um i appreciate it very much All right, and you stay safe and you keep your family safe. Yes, I will make the, the a sign. This sign has become the the new revolution sign. You know the the L of uh, liberty, uh, freedom, libertad in Spanish, freedom. Libertad. So these these because of that, I have I have been hidden. I have been punched. You know, this is a really 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 rebel way to to express these 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 two fingers so i, I will say goodbye to you with, with this sign
So we want to bring in Chris Vasquez right now, the executive director of a nonprofit called Inspire Cuba, also a Cuban-American activist based here in New York City. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Darlene. It's really a pleasure to be here. So we're watching the events, those of us in New York, around the country, around the world, watching these events unfold in Cuba. And for so many of us, like myself, I've, I've been to Cuba three times. I've been as a journalist and, and uh, engaged a lot with the Cuban people there. And what we're hearing in the headlines, right, is that this is about food shortages and medical shortages and COVID response and blackouts. But a lot of the people that I've spoken to say, say that this is about freedom. What do you say to that? Yeah, uh, I completely agree that it's it's completely about freedom. If you hear what people are shouting in the streets, they're yelling "Patria Vida, Cuba Libre, Libertad." These are words that mean freedom. They're they're calls to the end of of repression. Cubans want to be able to have the basic human right to determine their own future and and their own society and and elect the system under which they're governed for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we've we've seen some some uprisings right here and there over the years. But Chris, what is it that's different about this one? Somebody from inside Cuba told me that what's different is the access to the internet, right? When I was there in 1998, obviously there was no outside information really allowed in from anywhere. In 2015, certain people, certain professionals were allowed some internet access. In 2018, I saw those Wi-Fi parks, if you will. So what's different about what's happening in 2021 in terms of, of internet access? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> right now, first of all, the internet is being cut. So that is, uh, you know, weakening our ability to see what's happening in Cuba. But internet access, as you mentioned, is incredibly important. You know, the last, the last, and what's different about this movement, the last major uh, protest like this was in Malaconaso in 1994, I believe it was around 27 years ago. And even that was restricted to just Havana. And that incited the Balcedo crisis because what the Cuban, the Cuban government does is every time there's an uprising like this, traditionally, they've just released the pressure valve on the pressure cooker and led all of all of the people out who wanted to come to the United States. I think what we're seeing now is, is different, unique and special in the sense that this is an artist started movement that has brought in a lot of young people who not only have access to the Internet, but are very tech savvy and are using their voices and their platforms to um, create change in their country. So. It's it's vitally important and it, it's a moment in time that we need to grab, I think. Mm-hmm. What is the right approach for the United States government? Because from people I spoke to inside of Cuba, they don't want intervention is the word that they use, but they do want and need support. So what exactly is the right approach here? I think the United States has a long, messy and complicated history of intervening in Latin America. Some people might tell you Cuba has never truly been free. It's just moved from one revolution, one dictator, one, you know, a lot of change of hands throughout the years, um, obviously before 1959. But the reason that could even happen was because and this is a separate point I want to make. Cuba had a very active, very robust uh, civil society. That civil society has been eroded through the years due to the system um, that exists in Cuba today. And what we're seeing now is a rebirth, a re-strengthening of that civil society. And so broadly speaking, I think that the approach of the United States should be to bolster um, and enhance Cuban civil society. And you don't do that through repressive policies like uh, the embargo, because we can talk about all the ins and outs, but the spirit of the embargo is to make things so insufferable in that country that it incites an uprising. And I don't think you do that, or that's the way to go about it. I think what you need to do is 
rebuild Cuban civil society first and foremost. But speaking presently, aside of, from the embargo, aside from all of that, I think that the United States does not should not intervene militarily, but we should do as best as we can to send aid. I'm sure there are complexities with that. But more importantly, we should really be leveraging our stance as the most powerful country in the world right now to not only make a strong case for us to show that we support the Cuban people, but to also rally the international community around us. Speaking about the current government, so President Diaz-Canel, uh, he, he had said that this uprising was really U.S.-backed, backed by the United States, somehow influenced by the United States. He also just recently said that uh, he, he takes some responsibility and acknowledges the shortcomings. Um, so what are your thoughts about that? And, and what are your thoughts about, you know, someone said to me as well, is that this is what the, what they do, the government, um, going back to Fidel, is blame all of the problems on the U.S. embargo. Yeah, and that's my, just going back, that's my biggest criticism of the embargo is that it's a, a mouthpiece for the Cuban government. But what we're seeing right now, I don't think there's a single person in Cuba and you know very few people who actually know about the situation outside of Cuba that think that the embargo is to blame for what's happening right now, the repression going on in Cuba um, right now. I think that that would be a stretch. So Diaz-Canel and the Cuban government, they're going to do what they always do. What they try to do is they try to paint a very nice image uh, for the international community, rally international support to their cause. Um, that's why they don't have any hospital beds, yet they can afford to export doctors um, all over the world. And mm -hmm. really, there's not enough doctors in Cuba for the Cuban people per capita. So um, it's really what they always do. And they're, if they've acknowledged shortcomings, if they're now letting in aid, it's only to placate the situation because they realize that that they are in trouble. You know, Diaz-Canel has previously said, I think it was on Sunday, um, that he encouraged, um, you know, citizens who believed in the revolution to beat other citizens um, who are fighting for their their freedom. So um, I think it's very oppressive. I don't think that he has the same, call it historic authority that, that Fidel had. And, and I think this moment is is different. So do you think there will be a time in your lifetime, in our lifetime, that we will see freedom, democracy, a different kind of government in Cuba? I have to say, yes, I, I, I think it's inevitable. And I hope so. You know, my, my grandparents fled in the very early 60s in the aftermath of the Castro Revolution. My abuelo, um, you know, he, had, he suffered a lot under them. He had, uh, you know, friends, close family that served arbitrary prison sentence when he came to this country. Um, you know, eventually he, he first went to Arkansas, then moved down to Hialeah, drove, for, drove trucks for Winn-Dixie for almost 40 years to provide mm -hmm. his family. And it's it's something that he always dreamed of. Unfortunately, he passed and never got to see that day. And I hope that, and I, I, I know that we will see that day. Um, it's just a, a matter of, of when, you know, they, they can't hold the people down forever. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Chris Vasquez from Inspire Cuba, we really appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Darlene. Really appreciate it. We thank you for listening, and we thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Darlene Rodriguez. We'll see you next time on The Debrief.